Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, Episode 11, Returning to Jesus-Style Disciple-Making. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, Jesus. Jesus continues to use real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. excited to have our guest today for our conversation. Uh, His name is Preston Condor. Thanks for joining us, Preston. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sake of introduction to those folks that are listening, uh, Preston Condor grew up in Tyler, Texas. He went to college at Arkansas Tech University on a football scholarship and played quarterback. Preston coached football at Ole Miss and was planning on having a career in coaching, but instead was called into vocational ministry. He did a ministry apprenticeship with Neil Reynolds at Arkansas Tech, and then Neil and Preston both moved to Tuscaloosa about four years ago to serve the University Church of Christ in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Preston currently serves there as a campus minister, and he has been married to the love of his life, Meg, for nine months. Um, I've known Preston for a little while now, um, doing campus ministry crossover here. Um we we've really crossed paths at, at Gulf Coast Getaway, and um, so I've got to know the ministry more that Preston's been doing, and um, I know that man that community that you've been reaching out to there uh, at the University of Alabama. It's been so cool since since you've moved there with Neil, going kind of through that process. But um, it, it's neat to see the work that you've been doing that, how that's overlaying uh, with. Uh, with disciple making. So we're, we're interested to kind of know a little bit more about, about that, but by, by way of beginning, this kind of way we begin with all these things. We try to get to know the people that are coming on this podcast. I understand that you're, you were a part of a church. Um, but, but, but at some point along the way, um, your career aspirations made a change. And I know you and I have talked about that, but kind of bring us into what, what kind of led you, toward ministry because you obviously you're a football player right you should be coaching somewhere or 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 something along those lines but but tell us a little about that yeah so first of all I want to say a couple things real quick just because I don't want to you know think that these things are assumed um but we probably assume you know we all we all know that we think this way but uh everything in my story or in our ministry I just want to go ahead and say I want to give the credit to God for that. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to touch the glory of God. And so any good thing going on, that's just a blessing from God. 
Um, also want everybody to know that I'm not uh, an expert or even a really effective practitioner in some sense. Like I am trying to figure out how to follow Jesus as a way of life, just as a, a person myself um, and how to lead my wife and our family in following Jesus. And this is kind of just a journey of self-discovery for me. So I'm trying and I'm learning. I'm trying to stay humble. Um, um, and then I think also I just want to make it clear that I really appreciate the time that y'all put into this, the effort. Um, I was supposed to come and speak at y'all's church last summer and then COVID happened. And so just to make this happen and for y'all to be doing this and resourcing and equipping y'all's church, um, thank you guys for doing that. Um, so with all that being said, for my story, I grew up in the greatest country in the history of the world, Texas. That's right. And That's uh, right. <laughs> so I went to college at Arkansas Tech University, home of the Wonder Boys. Now, I know you've all heard of the mighty Wonder Boys. That's not a joke. That is the actual team name. Does that make Strikes Wonder food. Bread? We don't. We actually uh, just have like a mascot and green spandex. That's our, that's our <laughs> Which is a great um, mascot, of course. It really is. Yeah. So I, I went to Arkansas from Texas to play college football, grew a mullet just to fit in, be one of the guys. Literally, I grew a mullet. I, you know, we'd go um, playing toilet lid horseshoes. We'd bob for pig's feet, go to the outhouse races, all those kinds of Arkansas <laughs> things. So when I was when I was yeah. in Arkansas, I played quarterback for three years there, and I got connected to the Church of Christ Student Center. And my second campus minister there was Neil Reynolds. And so Neil, um, he was really key in, in my life and not just in my life, but me being in vocational ministry. So it all kind of started with me growing up in Churches of Christ in Texas. And, you know, I mean, I was young, I was a kid. And so I knew certain things, but I didn't quite get it. And so when I went to college, this idea of being a disciple of Jesus um, that was the first time I really heard that and that really connected with me. So Neil was really pivotal in me understanding that the word Christian is used three times in the Bible and the word disciple is used over 300 times in the New Testament. And mm-hmm. so I started to understand, okay, I don't just go to church. I'm not just a cultural Christian who, you know, don't do these things and do these things and you'll go to heaven one day and not hell which is kind of my limited understanding growing up. Right. But as I was in in college and as I had a relationship with Neil, I really started to understand that Jesus was inviting me to follow him, to be his disciple, a student who would spend time with Jesus, learn his teachings, and to live the life that Jesus lived. And what I began to realize, even in college, even at places like Gulf Coast Getaway, is that... um, Jesus was actually living his life in and through me, through his Holy Spirit. And so some of those key key thoughts and ideas of being a disciple of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, those really um, began to take root in college. And as I was playing football in college, I was pretty average quarterback. Our team was below average. And so I had a dream at that point to be a college football coach. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to go coach in the SEC. And so I knew, look, I'm a six foot unathletic white dude who's not going to make it to the NFL. I might as well just get my foot in the door in college coaching and just climb the ladder. So 
the next kind of part of my story is I left Arkansas Tech my, my junior year, and one Saturday uh, in the fall, uh, I drove over to Oxford, Mississippi. And so I get to the Manning facility where the football team has their indoor and their locker room. And I actually, I got there and my, my idea was I'm going to talk to Hugh Freeze. Yeah. That was my crazy idea was I'm going to drive over there and I'm going to go have a one-on-one with Hugh Freeze and tell him that I want to come on their staff and work with him. So leading up to that moment, <laughs> I didn't tell my roommates, but for like four months before this, I had actually been visualizing every night, no joke, I would lay down at night and I had a script written out of what I would say to Hugh Freeze in the moment. Not exactly, like I literally did this for months and I would lay in the bed and I would see myself walking up to Hugh Freeze, shaking his hand, saying, hey coach, my name's Preston, love to work with you, the whole spiel. And every night for four months, I got the job. So, uh, so that Saturday, <laughs> I drove over to Oxford and... I get to the Manning facility, but there's a problem. The door was locked. You actually have to have like a thumbprint to get into the building. You can't just walk off the streets like Arkansas Tech and walk into the building. So I did what any honest, normal person would do. I just pulled out my cell phone and, and faked a phone call, and then I snuck in behind somebody else. Yeah. So I broke into <laughs> old football facility. And as I'm well. walking around, Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is before I was a minister, so it's okay. But so I <laughs> right. in, and uh, I'm walking down the hall, see the field, see the the, the um, locker room, the place where the players would eat, and I rounded a corner, and all of a sudden, it's me, a long stretch of hallway, and Hugh Freeze. Uh, oh wow! No joke. Wow. It was me and Hugh Freeze walking towards each other, and so I was terrified. I started to shake and I was nervous and I was like, this is the moment. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, Preston, you've talked to Hugh Freeze every night for four months and dog got the job every time. (laughs) So I kind of got myself ready, went up to him, shook his hand and I gave him the spiel and I ended up getting to work at Ole Miss with their football team. And it was pretty wild, but I mean, I was as lowest level as you could get, you know, Helping with recruiting, cleaning jock straps, you know, whatever. Not really, but that this kind of, you know, don't talk to coach unless he talks to you kind of role. So that was a big shift. I left Arkansas Tech and came to Ole Miss, and I actually coached and I lived at Rebels for Christ. So oh, yeah. Casey yeah. was my campus minister um, in the back half of college, and I lived, I lived in their building at Rebels for Christ, and so kind of the last part at Ole Miss was Casey was speaking one night. And so I was coaching, waking up early in the morning, helping with the team. And then I'd still spend time with the college ministry. So one night uh, Casey spoke on the rich young ruler. It was a Wednesday night in Oxford. And it just really hit me that Jesus spoke to this guy who was, he was wealthy. He was young. He was influential. And the guy seemed to have all the right things checked off the list. And, and Jesus was like, look, man, you got to give everything up and come and follow me. And he loved the guy and the guy just couldn't do it. He couldn't give up the things that had his heart. And so in his case, money predominantly. And so for me, though, it connected with me because 
here I was, I gave up playing football. I gave up a scholarship Mm -hmm. to play college football. I gave up my friends and my roommates. I gave up, you know, a lot to move into the SEC to work at this low level grunt position and climb my way up the ladder so that I could be an SEC football coach, the best conference, the most popular sport in the country. It really connected with me that football at that point was an idol. Mm. Now, that sounds kind of silly, but it was the success. It was the money. It was the influence that came with coaching college football in the SEC sure. that I was chasing. Yeah, And so God really got a hold of me at that point. And, and that, that was a moment that shifted me back to, okay, I got to let this go. For me, I felt like I have to distance myself from it. So I actually went back to Arkansas Tech, graduated from Tech, and then started an apprenticeship for the next year and a half with Neil. Huh. So this, the, the, the idea of discipleship became center to your life. Um, I, I've heard that story, or at least pieces of that story before. I love the fact that you walked up to Hugh Freeze and asked for a job and you got it. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like sounds like you lucked out that you weren't there too terribly long. <laughs> yeah, I actually he had me making phone calls and stuff. I don't know what was happening. Not really, but yeah, that that was a terrible that well and honestly to to just a little side note here, Doug, that's actually what kind of that kind of contributed to some of it because I thought I was still on the fence of like, well, maybe I should coach high school football, you know, yeah. like I can still make disciples and be a high school football coach, or maybe I could coach college football and, and just get rid of that idol. But I was like, man, here's this guy who's like the most Christian college football coach and would have Bible verses in the rooms and, and studied through the old Testament for leadership development. And then that guy fell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, if I didn't like it there, and if that wasn't for real there, I just, I think you kind of have to sell your soul. And not really, but you know, like, yeah, it I know just what you're saying, yeah, so much. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So, so Preston, so that, uh, I, this is Randy. I, maybe so that then that kind of led you, I guess, at some point, God kind of led you into the ministry at Tuscaloosa to Tuscaloosa to University of Alabama. Um, Maybe you could share a little bit of that, but then specifically kind of wanted to know about what the ministry that you're doing there or that God is doing through you there at Tuscaloosa. Like talk to, to us a little bit about that, like what day to day and what are, your, what are some of your goals that you're trying to set there for the work that you're doing in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, sure. So when I went back to Arkansas Tech, I started the apprenticeship and, um, you know, got some opportunities to do ministry and that was a lot of fun and, um, again, still had that relationship with Neil. And so kind of the moment, I guess, when I really decided, okay, God is calling me into vocational ministry, um, it was really pivotal uh, for me was I was doing a, it's called a discovery lab with Kairos Church Planting. And that yeah. was kind of part of my apprenticeship was, you know, you'll take grad classes, you'll get practical hands-on ministry, and then you can also do some training with other organizations. So it was in that that lab where they're just assessing you, you know, and just seeing what your your spiritual giftings, what your competencies, what your personality like, all that kind of stuff. And so there was a moment that they call the fishbowl, and you sit in a circle, and there's another circle of the people assessing you around you. And 
one of the guys uh, that was there assessing us, his name was Jay. Jay said, Preston, um, I want to share something with you. I, I had a vision from God that I want to share with you. And at this point in my journey, I didn't believe in visions. You know, I just thought that was uh, kind of weird and kooky. So I was like, <laughs> okay. And uh, he said, Preston, I had a vision and I saw a telescope. And this telescope, instead of being pointed up to the, the stars, it was actually pointed out across the face of the earth. And he said, I looked through that telescope and I, all I could see across the earth was just black. It was just void and dark. And he said, but as I looked through that telescope into the darkness, he said, I suddenly saw you. And he said, in every place that your foot would step, light would drive out the darkness. And he said, step by step, there began to be this huge light emanating through the darkness, driving it out. And he just said, Preston, I believe that God is going to use you to, to impact many people's lives. And so wow. that was a moment for me that I just broke down crying and I didn't even really believe in God speaking or, or visions or dreams or, or the Holy Spirit really right. leading me personally. And at that point, I just kind of realized, okay, like this, this is it. I, I want to spend the rest of my life doing everything I can to advance the kingdom of God um, to defeat the kingdom of darkness and to see lives change. So I finished out the apprenticeship and really it was a, it was a God thing through Buddy Bell and, and uh, through Neil getting hired here at University Church. Um, the campus minister job opened up. And so I came with Neil at the same time about four years ago. And man, it's, it's been, it's been a journey, you know, it's been crazy. Um, when I first got here, there was just a, a couple of students and God, you know, praise God. We saw a lot of growth that first year. Um, but then we, you know, we've tried different approaches. We've, we've experimented and that's just kind of how I'm wired. You know, I, I don't like settling for what is. And so with coronavirus, I mean, it, it's really, it's crushed our ministry. You know, I mean, it's, it's been really hard. Um, we've lost a lot of students. We didn't connect with hardly many, any freshmen this past fall. Um, the students that we do have, the relationships have been great, but it, it's just been tough. Um, so just to kind of give you all, I guess, a sense of, you know, our ministry philosophy and strategy and kind of what we're about in a, in a nutshell, I guess really, uh, you know, it all comes down to, in my mind, um, I want these college students who come here to understand that they're disciples of Jesus. And I want them to really live, um, their whole life. Like I want their way of life to be following Jesus, not just a Sunday, not just, in certain areas, but to surrender every part of their life to the Lordship of Jesus yeah. and to really leverage their life um, in college and the rest of their life to see the Great Commission finished. Really, that's it. We just help people love God, love people, and make disciples. That's what we're all about. So, um, you know, we've, we've at times uh, experimented with a lot of prayer and fasting um, for us. We really believe that if the Holy Spirit isn't going ahead of us and isn't moving, that we can't change people's hearts. So uh, just to give you all an idea of some things we practically do, about two years ago, 
Um, God just really started to speak to me. Preston, you're doing all these things for me, but you don't actually want to spend time with me and you're not doing it in my strength. You need me more than you realize. And so I thought, I was like, okay, well, I got to start praying more. And started to pray daily, started small, you know, just a few minutes a day and started to to build on that. Um, Started to invite our leaders to start to pray small. And um, we've kind of built up from that to, um, you know, daily, extended time every day in prayer. Uh, weekly, one day of prayer and fasting on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. uh, monthly, uh, a half night of prayer from eight to midnight once every month, and then semesterly, a whole night of prayer from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Um, and so that's something that you know we've been doing as a ministry. And it's actually really cool that God took what we started with the college students and actually our whole church has really leaned into prayer and fasting. Um mm-hmm. We did a retreat with our elders and ministry team several months ago, and we just asked the Holy Spirit, you know, we know that we're supposed to help people love God, love people, and make disciples. And we know that you're taking us to a future where we look like Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. But what's that mile marker on that journey? What's the next step towards that end goal? And the Holy Spirit really spoke to us that I want you to become an Acts 1 church. And so in Acts 1.14, you know, after Jesus... Uh, rose from the dead, told his disciples about the kingdom, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. He told them, go make disciples, but first, wait. Go, but wait. Wait Wait for my power and presence to help you to make disciples. So the church has actually set a goal um, that we will become an Acts 1 church. And and by spending 10,000 hours in prayer, 1,000 days of fasting, and 10% of every Sunday gathering in prayer. So every Sunday as a church, even this year, we've been spending six minutes or so praying as a church. We've been praying and fasting weekly. Um, and our students, like I said, have had monthly half night and semesterly whole night prayer. Um, so that that's a lot of it is just, man, we're just, we're trying to make disciples the way Jesus did. And it's got to be the Holy Spirit empowering it. Amen. But uh, um, you said a lot there to 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 back up a, a minute. One thing that in the middle of this too, you've you've added a spouse along the way too. That there's, I, I'm sure there's some adjustment there with, um, with no, knowing ministry can take over your life completely. Uh, balancing that, um, not necessarily are, are we prepared to get off on that track, but um, I, I was able to to, to sit with. Um, with Preston not too long ago, and they were talking about um, the, their upcoming marriage and the adjustments that w- will be coming. So, uh, I want to stay in the in the topic of uh, of disciple disciple making. You know, th- there are three questions you, that that Randy references in at least this information that we have. That when you're talking about disciples disciple making, when you're st- talking about Jesus style disciple making there are three kind of questions that that you say that are important can you tell us a little bit about those and you you may have even referenced those just a minute ago when you're talking about uh pouring into your college students yeah so this this really started with me you know i had this desire i want to make disciples 
yeah. I want my life to be about what, what Jesus was about. Um, and then I, I realized that uh, that's pretty hard, that that's pretty challenging and started to just kind of learn more about this and um, try to lead our, our college ministry into this. And I think the first thing that's important in this conversation about Jesus style disciple making is realizing that we have a problem mm. that calling it for what it is. And so um, Barna, which is a, a leading Christian research organization, they, they have a couple of studies that I think are really important. They found in one study that only 17% of professing Christians in America know what the Great Commission is. Mm. Oh, man. We lack awareness. Yeah. Like the, the, the average Christian doesn't even know what we mean when they say, when we say the Great Commission or making disciples exponential and discipleship.org some really important church planning and disciple making organizations did a study pre COVID and found that less than 5% of churches in North America are making disciples who are personally making disciples less than 5%. So the way that they talk about it is there's kind of five levels level one, you're in decline. Um, level two, you're stuck level three, you're adding people to your Sunday gathering to your church. So that's addition growth. Uh, level four is reproducing. So that would be instead of just adding people to your Sunday service, your people are leaving the Sunday service and personally throughout the rest of the week, making disciples among the lost. So that's level four is yeah. reproducing and level five is multiplying. It would be disciples who make disciples who make disciples for several generations of disciples. And so um, the statistics on that, uh, you know, roughly, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but roughly uh, 70% of uh, our churches are either declining or plateaued, be level one or level two. Um, so that just yeah. is really, it's, and this is pre-COVID. This is, it's, it's much worse now even. Oh, yeah. Um, and, then, and then 25% or so of our churches that are growing, um, they're growing by addition which isn't bad. There's not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with growing by addition. But when I say addition, it's primarily they're making disciples through programs, preaching, and praise. It's Sunday morning-centric, preaching programs, praise. And so there's less than 5% of churches in our country where people are being sent out into their everyday life, the places they live, work, and play, and they're personally making disciples. So there's a huge problem. We lack awareness yeah. and we lack effectiveness. Problem is we aren't making disciples who make disciples. So if if we if we can't start there and just acknowledge, man, we want this, we want to make disciples, but we're not doing it well. Um, I think if we can first acknowledge that, it puts us in a humble posture. Uh, and then from yeah. there, uh, I think it's really important that we don't just turn to, well, you know, who's got the biggest church? Let's see what they do. Or who's the coolest, most hip young pastor? Let's see what they do. Or who's the monk that sat in silence the longest? I think as we start to think about, well, if we're not doing it well, who do we turn to? I think it sounds really simple, but we've got to turn to the master disciple maker himself, King Jesus. And so um, I think starting there, that as we're talking about making disciples, uh, we got to start with what Jesus said, with his message, his mission, and his methods. 
the way that Jesus did it is the way that, you know, we should want to do it. And so those three questions that you talked about come out of uh, the Great Commission passage itself. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you know, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So that's kind of the, the master disciple makers plan, uh, the Great Commission. And the three questions that I began to ask and wrestle with that, um, that I believe have kind of helped me uncover some shifts personally in my own life uh, are these questions. The first one is when we read the Great Commission, we ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, based on, on this, who are we? Mm-hmm. Which is a question about identity. The second question is, Jesus, how do we live? Which is a question about our way of life or our lifestyle. And the third question is, Jesus, what's our end goal? Which is about our vision, our end direction, um, beginning with the end in mind. So those are the three questions um, that I think are really important and kind of set a framework um, for just what I refer to as the five shifts to returning to Jesus style disciple making. Yeah. And honestly, um, we make a lot of things complex when in reality it's really simple. And that's kind of what you're mm-hmm. talking to is that returning to that simplicity of look, <laughs> let's, let's return to Jesus for a minute instead yeah. of this thing or this thing that makes, makes an appearance a certain way so all these people come in right it's and then they leave they walk back out that same door they came in instead of changing yeah. people's lives and those people changing people's lives because there's a center point to look to um exactly uh, and and, uh, and i was able to read uh preston some of those, the articles you've written about this and, and you do and you just alluded a minute ago to these shifts and you mentioned i know you mentioned those, those articles that the, you believe there's five shifts that we who are calling ourselves followers of Jesus, disciples need to make to return to this Jesus-style disciple-making. I know that time may not allow you to go into detail, but could you kind of briefly kind of share with those listening and with us what those are? Yes, yeah. So, and I, and I, I think this is important too, before I say the shifts, I, I just kind of want to clarify the language real quick sure, so people sure. understand some of the distinctions that right. I'm making. Yeah. So, returning um this is really a part of our restoration identity is like let's go back to the bible so that's kind of my starting point is like doug you were saying let's just go back to the bible yeah so we're returning to jesus style as opposed to you know many there's many methods and there's nothing necessarily wrong or sinful about different methods but the starting point in my mind, and I think we all agree, if we want to go back to the Bible is, hey, let's just do what Jesus did. You know, like however Jesus did it, that worked well enough, seemed to change the world. Um, So returning to Jesus style, that's just the heart is let's do it like Jesus. Disciple making. Now, this is a a word that might seem a little strange to people. Um, Here's the reason I use that word. So one of the the issues that I see when we have these conversations about what we're talking about is we typically say discipleship. 
And discipleship, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but discipleship is literally just the state of being a disciple. And so typically, as we're talking about discipleship, people already are having mental pictures of what we're talking about. And they tend to think about things like Bible studies, classrooms, content, information. That's not what I'm talking about. So I think it's important that people understand when I say disciple making, I'm referring to a process. The process of disciple making, like if you had like a, a big umbrella or a big bucket or something, it includes two things. So there's kind of two parts to this one big thing, and it's both evangelism and discipleship. So evangelism is just engaging people who don't follow Jesus and ultimately baptizing them. Discipleship is living life on life with people who have been baptized and showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus. So disciple making, uh, I think it's important to use language like that because if we don't, and we talk about just discipleship, people think that we're not talking about reaching lost people. But you have to begin the process of making disciples by going to lost people, engaging them, having a relationship with them, sharing the story of Jesus with them, baptizing them, and then beginning to teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus and to do so in a way that they can then go on and repeat that process with others. Um, So that's just, let's start there. When we say returning to Jesus-style disciple-making, it's that process of evangelism and discipleship um, based on the methods of Jesus. Um, so is that, is that, I guess before I say the shifts, is that helpful? Like, what are y'all hearing me say or why that the language part matters? I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I think the way I've been phrasing it sometimes with me is that we, you know, we do a real good job of being, of doing church, but not being church. And I think, Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is us being church, is you know, is is being people who are followers of Jesus, but in turn are trying to reach those who are not for Jesus, and just in continuous process of growth that that Jesus and the early church gave us a model for. So I think simplicity, right? I, I I'm I'm a simple man. Uh, mm-hmm. When you when when you're when you're comparing contrasting discipleship and disciple making. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying is, is that very thing is like, I think most Christians would call themselves a disciple, but that doesn't necessarily, that, that most of us don't think of ourselves as disciple makers, right. right? That we're we're moving into discipleship like we climb on the ship, right? That's what we do. We climb on the ship and we're like, yes, I want to be a Christian. So I'll come here and I'll sing and I will go to that Bible class that will help me be the smartest Christian I can be. And I am right. on the ship. You know, mm-hmm. I am right. I am in the process of discipleship, um, disciple making, and 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 I love this concept that you're talking through, and and this is what you know in my faith journey. This is what I want to engage in people's lives with. This is what I hope those listening want to engage, and that is from this point forward, we there's a mission, right? Yes. It's it's it, there's there's intent and purpose in what we're doing, and it is. Yeah. I don't just meet that person. I meet that person and I find out about them mm-hmm. and I, and I try to introduce them to Christ and not just to educate them, but that, that process is for me and for them. It's for both of us. Yes. 
Um, and, and in that process, I'm trying to not lead the, 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 the old word evangelism. And I, I wanted to put quotations and marks around it when you said it, because that's the one that scares everybody, right? Is that's the part we've got to supposedly know so much and have everything figured right. out. Um, and that one scares people, but yeah, the disciple, the, I love the idea of, uh, Jesus style disciple making mm-hmm. because it's an intentional process of thinking through and a direction yeah. you're headed, not just sitting on the ship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, um, that kind of sets up, you know, t- understanding what we're talking about for, for everybody who's listening. And, and so the five shifts that come out of those three questions about identity, lifestyle, and, and vision, um, these are the five shifts. And again, like, you know, I've written some articles on this. Um, they're on renew.org. So um, you can, you know, find those, look those up. It'll go into more detail. But first question, Jesus, who are we? Jesus said, and so again, this isn't me saying it. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So I think the first thing to know, this first shift, is we've got a shift if we want to return to Jesus' style disciple-making. The first shift is we've got to go from being church members to being disciple-makers. Mm-hmm. That's the first shift. It's a shift in identity. So identity drives behavior. And so that's why instead of getting into, well, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We need to pause and say, who are we? I think about... um my wife, Meg. And uh, one of the funniest moments of this to me was when we first got married, um, we both at times would be late to things or, you know, not organized. And it's actually been helpful being married. We've gotten better at it, but we're, you know, we were pretty bad at first. And Meg actually had this coffee cup uh, that sat up in our cabinet that said, running late is my cardio. She had this message that running late was her cardio and, you know, her parents and her family would make references. I started to notice about how, oh, well, you're just a late kind of person. That's just who you are. You're just late to everything. And it cracked me up because I started to realize that who, what we believe about who we are drives our behavior and it works both ways. Our behaviors reinforce who we are it's a feedback loop. So, mm-hmm. um, in order for us to actually make disciples, we first have got to stop thinking of ourselves as I'm a church member. That's who I am. Because when we say, who are we? We're church members. What do we do? We go to church, we sing the songs, we take communion and we listen to the sermon and then we yeah. come back next week. Mm-hmm. That's what a church member does in a limited truncated understanding of our identity as as part of this culture in America in, in 2021. But if we can shift from that, that limited view of, of who we are, to the biblical view of we are disciple makers. We're disciples of Jesus. We're disciple makers. So who are we? We're disciple makers. We go to the lost. We tell them about Jesus. We train them to follow Jesus and to tell and train others for Jesus. You know, that that's a much bigger, robust understanding of who we are. Yeah. So that that's that's the first shift. 
So the second question uh, is about lifestyle. We talked about identity, now we're talking about lifestyle. So second question is, well, Jesus, how do we live? What's our lifestyle? What's our way of life? So again, going back to the Great Commission, Jesus said, therefore, go. Uh, So the second shift in my mind, if we want to return to Jesus-style disciple-making, is we've got to shift from going to church to going to the lost. So in our, again, in our cultural understanding of being a follower of Jesus, we just think, I'm supposed to go to church, and my family's supposed to go to church, which is true. Obviously, we are the church, so we gather together. But, um, and you can look at the articles that I wrote wrote about this, um, the statistics show that that Barna's come out with that uh, the majority of Christians have no relationships with non-Christians. Um, we just are not spending enough time outside of the church walls, outside of the people we already know, going and engaging and building relationships with people far from God. And so just like Jesus would, you know, go to Matthew's house and eat, eat a meal with tax collectors and sinners in order to help them come back into a relationship with the Father, we've got to get out there and actually build relationships with non-Christians. So that's a shift we've got to make from going to church— yeah going to the lost. Um, the next shift, shift three, is um, Jesus said, therefore go, um, and, and he mentions baptizing them. And so we've got to shift from professionals reaching the lost to everyone reaching the lost. Now, this one, it's going to take a little second to kind of unpack this, but the idea is Jesus commanded all of us to go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we all have been commissioned to go. And we all have been commissioned to baptize. Now, this might make some of us uncomfortable um, for different reasons, our theology or whatever. But Jesus told all of his followers to go and baptize. Yeah. And so to, in my understanding, um, that means all of his followers Men, women, people who are young, people who are old, every follower of Jesus, by the authority of the risen Jesus, have been commanded not just to go, but to baptize. But here's what we've done in our cultural understanding of being a Christian. We just say, oh, I'm not going to go and and tell lost people this good news about the kingdom of God coming into the world in the person of Jesus I'm not going to tell them that. I'm just going to invite them to church. That's the win now. If we can invite them to church, which again, nothing's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with inviting them to church. That's great. But at some point, all of us, we've got to take ownership and say, I'm not just going to rely on the preacher. I'm not just going to rely on the Sunday service. I am going to do what every follower of Jesus throughout history, the past 2,000 years, has done before us. I am going to go. I am going to tell lost people. And I am going to try... Um, to invite them, to persuade them, um, to convince them that they need to trust and follow Jesus and they need to be baptized. There's a shift that needs to happen where we don't just expect the paid professional ministers Mm -hmm. to do the, the telling and the baptizing. We as followers of Jesus, everybody, we need to tell people and we need to baptize people. So that's the third shift is not just professionals, but everybody. Um, the fourth shift, this is the last part of the lifestyle Jesus said, you know, 
Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them a lot of Bible facts and information. Yeah. And teach them. Oh, wait, no, no, he didn't say. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, so often, I mean, I've done this. I'm guilty of this, you know, as anybody else. But uh, we just settle for facts and information and Bible knowledge and, and reciting Bible verses. And, and nothing's wrong with that. But Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. He said that the wise person is a person who listens to his teachings and then puts it into practice. He compares them to building your house on a rock. The rock is not Jesus. People, you know, talk about that and they're like, oh man, I've got Jesus and the foolish person doesn't have Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at this great teaching moment, says, some of you are going to hear what I teach and you're going to obey it. Others of you have heard what I teach. You're not going to obey it. And there's disastrous results when we don't obey it. So shift four, straight out of the mouth of Jesus, is we've got to shift from teaching information to teaching obedience. We can't just settle for what's normal in our culture of Christianity in America of just teaching information, but we've got to teach yeah. people, how do I obey what Jesus taught? What does it look like in my everyday life? Give me some practical handles on that. And so that's yeah. that that's kind of rounds out the lifestyle part. And then the, the third question, at least to the last shift here, the third question is, now, Jesus, what's our end goal? So every church, you know, nowadays probably has a mission and vision. And there's a lot of different ways to express the mission of Jesus and the vision of Jesus. You know, there's it's fine. We don't have to have one way to express um, what he said. Um, but whatever our end goal is as individuals, as followers of Jesus, even, you know, as a family following Jesus or as the church, it needs to be rooted in the end goal that Jesus set forth. We don't get the, the liberty to just come up with, well, here's our end goal. And so, Jesus, what is our end goal? It's the third and final question. Jesus said, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that word in Greek, nations, it doesn't just mean like when we look at a map and we see, oh, there's this many countries in the world. He's not just saying go to every all 200 countries or whatever it is. He's saying there there are um, countries, but there are groups of people that live in all these different countries. There's there's far more people groups in the world than there are just countries. So that word in Greek is actually people groups. There's roughly 17,000 people groups that make up uh, the people on our earth. And so the end goal that Jesus set forth in the Great Commission is we've got to make disciples of all people groups, all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so um, the fifth shift is we've got to go from many competing goals to a singular end goal. If we want to return to Jesus-style disciple-making, there's got to be more clarity and more focus in my mind for every church to say, we are here to finish the Great Commission. We're here to make disciples not just locally, not just nationally, but we're to make disciples of the last 7,000 people groups who have never even heard of Jesus and don't have the Jesus option. There's got to be a clear target that the end goal that Jesus set is making disciples of all nations.
You know, I know that you've got probably lots of stories over the last at least two years. I know uh, just by way of uh, by way of uh, stories that I've heard and uh, from different people in in that ministry that your your ministry was different and and may still be. I know COVID has 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 made, but but some of the communities that you reached out into were not your typical. Hey, these college Christian kids. Uh, that that some of them were unique and different, and there was intentionality and disciple making uh, in that. Um, and I, I don't know if there's one story. And this is this is not we this is not on our on our outline here. So this is me winging it a little bit. But I but I am interested. Is there is there a faith story of somebody that you can point to and say, look, this guy or this girl that we poured into, or that one of our students poured into? How, how you've seen Jesus at work because of this intentional uh, disciple-making mentality. Yeah, so I think of Namito Yakoda. So Namito, um, he came to the University of Alabama, never having been to church, wasn't a Christian. Uh, none of his family uh, are Christians. And... Uh, we had a student who befriended Namito, and uh, just like we talked about a second ago, that student, you know, they didn't just go to church, but they would go to lost people, and they built relationship with this guy, Namito. Mm-hmm. And um, the student invited Namito into our community. He began to build relationships with the, the students of Reach. And just over, you know, several months, we would love on Namito. He would ask questions about hell, about morality, about Jesus, and we'd just sit down and, you know, just try to have conversations with him as best we could. And after several months of, you know, building relationship and yet Namito never making that commitment to surrender his life to King Jesus, um, it was actually, it was a, it, it was a year and a week ago. Um, because it was the week before we last met as a church and then coronavirus <laughs> happened. Yeah. And so what happened is we had a half night prayer night. And so it was a Thursday and, uh, we met as a church for the last time a couple of days later that Sunday. And so spring break was that next week. And so I, you know, we didn't know coronavirus was going to happen. We didn't know what was going on. But all we knew was that we sensed that we needed to intercede for Namito. And at that half-night prayer night, our students came together and we cried out to God and said, God, would you change Namito's heart? Would you break through? And would you do it before spring break? We actually said, God, would you do it before spring break? Which was in just a few days. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, I get a text the next morning. Won't God do it? You know, won't God do it? I get a text and Amito says, hey, man, I want to get lunch. And so that next day, Friday, we we had lunch together. And Amito and I talked about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus, about trusting and following Jesus. And Amito was baptized that Sunday. It was electric, man. There was hundreds of people. Our church was together. And I just asked the question, I said, if you have played a role in Namito trusting and following Jesus by having a conversation, by serving him, by talking to him in some way, would you raise your hand? 
And it was just, it was awesome because you could see dozens and dozens of people and not just a one person fishing, but a wide net fishing approach where it took the whole community loving and, yeah. and uh, reaching out to Namita. So what's cool is, you know, most stories in there, right? Like most stories would be like, oh, they got baptized. But that that's exactly one of the things I'm talking about is that that's not the win. <laughs> right. So for Namito, what's really cool is that we had actually been having Bible studies with him in which we would read the Bible and then we would ask him and every student, all right, what'd you learn about God? And they'd share. What'd you learn about people? And they'd share. And then we'd say, how are you going to obey Jesus this week? Yeah. And so Namito, before he was even baptized, was already making obedient statements and trying to live out the teachings of Jesus. And Namito actually, this is so cool, Namito, we empowered him to go ahead and start Bible studies with other non-Christians. He wasn't even baptized yet. <laughs> Namito started Bible studies before he was even a Christian. Most Christians won't start Bible studies with other people. Yeah. And so what's really cool about the story of Namito is not just that God worked miraculously to bring him to faith, but it's that Namito began making disciples from day one. He was actually born to reproduce. He had a vision from the first day that I am going to follow Jesus and I'm going to start to labor that other people may become obedient followers who then go on to become obedient followers themselves, that they would become disciple makers. That's cool. That's really I'm glad you told us that story about the sure. I, yeah. I I do have, you know, th- this is back to the part where, you know, you love the information part, right? But there is, that that is part of what we're doing is beginning the process of informing is, is how you get to that point. But when you do look at this Jesus style discipleship making, or let me try and translate those words, disciple making, um, when, when you're looking at this, are there some points of reference you can point to to say, hey, look, this book or this thought process is in this place. And, you know, these people could go like there are a few people listening to this right now. It'd be like, yeah, I love that. I, I want to know more about that idea. And obviously we can have that conversation with them. But is there something they could go a book or a section of books that you think of that that kind of frame this up. And you mentioned renew.org too, uh, Preston, maybe just, yeah. you know, where can we go to, to kind of keep this conversation going? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, especially, I think this matters for everybody that just as a Christian going to church, you know, yes. but also really for ministry leaders and church leaders. Yes. Um, so it's not just for ministry leaders, um, but some different books and resources that have helped me. Um, I would say, yeah, renew.org and discipleship.org have great resources. That's a restoration network of people mm-hmm. that put that out. Um, I would say uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism is a great book about the principles of the ministry of Jesus. Um, if you're thinking more of like the leader level and you're looking for some books, I would say Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World. Um, wiki church um, and for um, just some ideas maybe even beyond our the normal ways of making disciples um, just kind of some out of the box things um, there's some things um, that I've been reading the last couple of years and we've been experimenting with that are called disciple making movement strategies 
and um, they're really being used overseas. Um, but we've been experimenting with how do we reach, say, for example, fraternities mm-hmm. and um, or different groups on campus. And by no means are we crushing it or anything. But um, T4T um, is a book, Training for Trainers, that is really helpful in the DMM world. Um, I'm blanking. I know that there's some other ones, but those are those are a good starting point, I would say. Well, Preston, this has been, I mean, it, this conversation has been so good today. I, I, we, Dana, really appreciate you taking the time to spend this time with us and really, I think, just kind of begin the conversation. And, well, hopefully not just a conversation, but a movement, you know, among our those who are called followers of Jesus to to really reach out and, and use the connections and people that we have around us um, that are not Christians yet to speak to them about Jesus. Um, we, and we also appreciate how God's using your ministry for the kingdom, not only on the campus at Tuscaloosa, but challenging all those who are called disciples of Jesus to disciple others. It's also, I thought it was kind of neat to hear your story about how God called you into full-time ministry. Uh, what we're trying to say to our listeners, it's truly amazing how God has the ability to take our lives, our stories, and make them into something that shines the light back on Jesus. And it's our hope that those who are listening to this will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your story if you're willing to share it. Yeah. Preston, I just I want to I want to pray and I want to thank God for the way He's using you, the way He's using that ministry, but even more so the way that He's using um, the disciples that are being made uh, and the hands that are going out and the intentionality in that. Let's just pray. God, I, I just uh, I pray over Preston right now, and I pray that you send your spirit to him. I'm thankful for um, the spirit that you've given him, and I'm thankful that you're using uh, both he and Neil and Father, the not just knowledge, because um, that's completely useless without any wisdom that goes with us and discernment, Father. So I'm, I'm thankful for the wisdom that you poured over them. And Father, I pray that as we have this conversation, as we continue this conversation, into the community for which we're involved, that we continue to make disciples, yeah. that make disciples, Father, and and that we we catch a fire with that idea because it's just uh, simply Jesus's. Um, yeah. And I, I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for the conversation that we have, and and I'm I'm thankful for Preston. I pray uh, specifically over his marriage and the ministry that that he's involved with. Uh, thank you for your love, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again, Preston. Yeah joining us. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thank you, Preston. We'd appreciate any any feedback that anyone out there listening give us and on the Unbroken Jars podcast. You can leave those comments or feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. And please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.